0: My guest this week is Pat Thornton, a comedian and actor you may know from his work with the Skechersons, or on the web series Space Janitors, or the late lamented city TV series Sunnyside, where he played dozens of characters, including the gleefully corrupt Mayor Fred. He plays a different sort of mayor in Andy King's Filth City, which just closed the Canadian Film Festival, and which I'll be introducing in Toronto this coming Monday, April 3rd, as now's latest free flick at the Royal. Pat also has a brand new special, Different Times, streaming on the Comedy Network, and it was a pleasure to sit down with him amidst the whirlwind of the Filth City press to talk about a different whirlwind. Pat picked a serious man, Joel and Ethan Coen's 2009 comedy about the trials of Larry Gopnik, an unassuming Minnesota academic whose life becomes a maelstrom of inexplicable complication in the weeks leading up to his son's bar mitzvah in 1967. Michael Stuhlberg's magnificently indignant performance provides an anchor to hold down all manner of foolishness, with delightful supporting turns from Richard Kind, Sari Lenick, David Kang, Steve Park, Michael Lerner, and the pitch-perfect Fred Malamed, whose name will escape both Pat and me when we most need it in this episode. Just warning you in advance about that. Sorry. This is someone else's movie.
1: My wife and I try to see all the Best Picture noms every year, yeah. and since we've been together, this is the this is the one that I like wanted to go back to. Like it is, it is just poetry to me. Like it's, uh, I posted on Facebook that I watched it last night, and I couldn't believe how divisive it was. So many like Coen Brothers fans hate this movie. Really? Yeah, because
0: it's like their most. I mean, I think it is their most autobiographical in in the set where they were kids. Yeah. It's it's like, um, divisive hat, like, I mean, I don't like Barton Fink, but I know I'm the outlier there.
1: No, I know. They they certainly have weirder movies that I think are harder to get into. Yeah. Uh, but what I like about this one is that it's, um, I feel like it's part of, like, a series that they've done of movies where... Just about a man in the middle of a storm. You know? Like, uh, Lebowski's like that, where he's just like... uh, Where he just runs into all these crazy characters that are all uh, coming down on him, and he has no idea what's happening. Uh, Hail Caesar was like that. Mm -hmm. And Hail Caesar really made me want to watch this movie again. Because it's the the same kind of journey. It's just... uh, But it's in an already cartoon Hollywood world. Whereas this... Is just a regular guy, yeah. Who's just getting destroyed (laughs) every angle, and uh, and then there's like, there's no redemption for him. There's nothing to learn. But his performance is so, uh, just so great that I uh, that I can just watch this guy get buried. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is. It was incredible watching it. uh, I saw it at a press screening. Before TIFF that year, so it would have been like mid-August, and it was just this blasted, exhausting day. And it not only perked me up, but it just completely removed me from everything else I was doing. And I I think it was me and Adam and We were the only ones laughing, but we were laughing really hard. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just... I connected so fully to it. And, yeah, Michael Stuhlberg is this amazing Job-like character... Yeah. ...who, I think... And you know, the, anybody listening hopefully has already seen the movie because we're going to go right to the end. Yes, of it. absolutely. But but um, I think he's a little bit more of an architect of his own misery than than Job is because ultimately, like the final decision is his that that seems to seal things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, everything he does is so exasperated and desperate and panicked that you can't help enjoying, yeah, the descent right because he is. Um, just I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm thinking of the way he draws the Schrodinger's cat question, and it's just it's so childish and, and simplistic. And the idea that this guy is trying to communicate high theories of physics and, and quantum questions of the universe, and somehow possibly destroying the world as a result, or at least
1: his own, is yeah. Just his so, whole thing is that he's trying to find order all the time, and it just you know, he's trying he to just make sense of anything. It's a scene where he has just gotten in a car accident and he comes in and he's so shell-shocked in his office and he has to take this phone call from the Columbia Rooker <laughs> House <laughs> just all about uh, Santana Abraxas yes. like, Santana Abraxas I just got in this serious car accident <laughs> it's just amazing yeah. I can't get over it I also like that they um, feel like this movie sort of in the same way that Book of Mormon does it uh, they with all like due respect to the religion they they show you how crazy it is yeah. <laughs> you know like like it's a, like very respectful very Jewish you can see that they're very into being Jewish all that stuff but there's this but all of these uh rabbis that he has to meet with and uh, <laughs> and nobody has anything close to an answer yeah. I, I... <laughs> I do love that, too, the, the idea
0: that, I mean, the, the they're debating, um, how can I put it, there's a constant debate in Judaism over whether religion is the answer or just an excuse for more arguing, yeah. and, and that's how I've always sort of pictured it through my family's experience has simply been, yeah, well, the rabbi will say something, and then you just immediately take exception to it. There are books that accompany the Bible, the Talmud, which comes up a lot in The Serious Man, which are not actual Bible books books but they're not they're not part of the old testament they're simply deliberations over it at passover there's this thing where uh, I, I love this so much because it's the most frustrating thing in the world. To be, to be a kid at a Passover Seder is to be bored to tears by adults reading from a book for three hours that you don't care about. And then there's the point where you're 15 or 16 years old where you start actually paying attention to the text over and over again. It comes around every year. You have to listen to it and you have to read some of it. And there's this one bit about how the Ten Plagues could have actually been 500 plagues or something like that because there's paragraphs devoted to this. Well, if you see the hand of God as a thumb and four fingers, then each finger is delivering a plague, but and then it's like, it's, <laughs> it's so ludicrous it's like, well, and then Rabbi Gumliel said, well, each knuckle could be considered so it's really another 30 plagues per knuckle it's, it's madness and it doesn't help <laughs> You're, you're no closer to dinner. Yeah, when you yeah, start yeah. Then yeah. you finish, and that's what the serious man is to me. It is the personification of a certain type of American conservative Judaism that just they have opinions on things and they aren't finished talking and you have to then answer them with another parable and each rabbi is is another stage in that fucking conversation where it's just like, but the parking lot speech or the Jews' teeth
1: Yeah, the Goy's teeth, (laughs) teeth, that's
0: right every (laughs) one of them ends with no clarity And, I i mean, I know there were some people in the theater that just didn't enjoy them. That, yeah. Uh, it's like, ugh, it's another story. But they're so great. They're just magnificently convoluted and absolutely useless. And and just watching Stuhlberg's face as each new story starts. Yeah. And he sort of sinks into it. Yeah. It's a marvel. The scene at the beginning. <laughs> oh, the, the scene in Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. Which which actually Stilbard told me, I, I'd forgotten about this, he auditioned for that. Oh, that yeah? Was, that was his first audition for the film. He doesn't speak Yiddish, but he went and learned it and said he was, he thought he was okay. Like, he actually played the scene out. They, they videotaped it or whatever. They, they tested for it. And he thought he was okay, but then the Coens decided they were going to actually cast actors who could speak Yiddish for the, right. for the prologue. And then he read for both Larry and Arthur, oh, yeah. uh, the role that Richard Kind ended up oh, playing. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to picture him doing
1: that, and I just can't. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone but Richard Kind. Yeah, he's amazing.
0: <laughs> but I'm sorry, I derailed you. You were talking about the prologue.
1: Oh, yeah, it's just... Uh, it's I mean, it sets the tone wonderfully for the whole movie, where you're just <laughs> sitting there staring at this interesting scene, and when it's over, you're like... Okay, what? <laughs> and that's what I absolutely love about this movie, and I think that's what people absolutely hate about this movie. You know that it doesn't, it doesn't ever give you any answers, like beyond like, uh, you know, stuff happens. Yeah, <laughs> be a good boy. <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: It is incredibly. I mean, it is a moralistic universe. There. I mean, I think the, the thing that fascinates me about Larry Kopnik as a character is that. Being presented with a rightness and wrongness, he knows what's right, and mm-hmm. he has a moral sense. he just keeps looking for loopholes that will let him act immorally, yeah, or at least you know profit from not acting morally right uh, and and that's that's the hook for me of so many other Coen Brothers films. Like um, Blood Simple is all about that. Raising Arizona is all about oh, yeah. that. Um, and another film in which an outwardly insane person is the most sane person in the film. Yes, because because Hi does he knows what to do. He's trying to make his wife happy. He's trying to do right by this baby, but he's <laughs> also created this this waterfall of chaos that just won't stop pouring over him. Yeah, and it's oh, it's. Uh, yeah I, I'm I'm stunned again that this is the first time anybody's picked a Coen Brothers movie it's been like two years of this podcast and wow. I think people are scared to <laughs> I think it's just too much there's so much to unpack <laughs> um, and I'm so glad you picked this one because it is I think it might be my favorite of
1: theirs it, it really is singular it's my favorite of theirs hands down no question and I love so many of their movies but this one really really stands out and like, I'd never seen him before, and I guess nobody but Yeah. Yeah, no, he'd done some stuff. And now he's, he's all over the place now. But. Yeah,
0: and we've talked a couple of times, and he's a really interesting guy. He's, you know, like, he's your quintessential working actor who's just done everything yeah. for everybody. And then this movie comes along, and suddenly, oh, Scorsese calls. Right. And he's in Hugo, and, and he's in this, and he's in that, and he's in Arrival. And you're just always amazed at what he's doing with this absolutely normal
1: Well, I saw this, and then uh, the next thing I saw him in was Boardwalk Empire, Mm. and what a change. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's capable of, um, well, pretty much
0: anything, really. And and the stuff that he goes through in A Serious Man is about seven different stories and tones anyway, and he just finds ways to stitch it all together into a character that is always sympathetic, even when he's being a complete tool. Yeah. Uh, Which is, again, just the best thing that the Cohens can do is plug you into this world where whatever's going on, whether it's no country and it's the most serious grave thing on the planet, and you are, your heart's in your mouth over somebody flipping a coin, or something like this where, you know, he's having a conversation that's completely one-sided because he simply can't understand the other half of the conversation over and over and over again. Um, the kind of, oh, yeah. Talking to the rabbis, oh, yeah. talking to, to the student, talking to the father, like there's just so much... In his way.
1: He's alone. Yeah. yeah. He, there's that scene where he's meeting with uh, Adam Arkin, his lawyer. Yes. <laughs> and, he asks, and Arkin asks him how he's doing. And he says that he's trying to just, uh, uh, he's trying to have a fresh perspective and uh, and uh, look at at things in a new way and maybe that's going to help him out. And, and then there's just a pause and Arkin goes really? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, there's no hope. Nobody's listening to you ever. Yeah. You're getting
0: records you didn't order or you're not getting them. And yeah. You're still being billed for them. And, and just the, 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 <laughs> the balance between kind of the, the, the piddly shit that the kids are going through at the same time. Yeah. Which is just, there's no weight to it, and yet there is, because when you're a kid, everything's the most important thing in yes. the world, and your your emotions are on high, and your hormones are raging, and you don't know what to do, and so this this death threat that evolves out of a misunderstanding, <laughs> the idea that you're walking around doomed, kind of is a it's a lovely mirror yeah. to to uh, to Larry's situation because neither of them knows what to do, neither of them really
1: caused it. I mean, they kind of did unthinkingly. Yeah, kind of, but yeah, I I think that the um, at the end, uh, mm-hmm. when <laughs> the kid finally gets his twenty bucks back, yeah. and he's trying to give it to, to the bully who's been chasing him down the street every day, and then he just stops and sees that a, there's a tornado coming. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. And it's just like, yeah, you you just can't win. There's no winning in life. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's magnificent. It's it's the kind of film too that. Ends, it, ends, it makes that scene feel like a shrug rather than dread, rather than yeah. terror. I mean, I've seen, you know, there, there are literally hundreds of horror movies that end with that same kind of flat cut to black that, right. you know, this is going badly and you shudder or you're scared or you laugh. And this one, it just ends and you're like, oh, yeah, sure. That's, yeah. That, of course, that's what was going to happen. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when at the round table, people were talking about how this is sort of a, they were trying to argue that it's a sequel or it sets up some other cohen film that there's a connection and they looked at e- the cohen's looked at each other and i knew they were thinking oh no this isn't like the world ends we there, there uh, is no yeah. there is no anything after this yeah this story ends in 1967 as does all of history they've made a film that ends definitively i think like, i don't think there is a future after this i think that between larry's test results and the tornado i think the point is that by making that one wrong decision at the end by flipping the switch the wrong way, it's not Job's redemption. It's not God testing him to see if he can withstand it. It's God testing him waiting to see when he goes wrong. Yeah. Which which I love. The, the the absolute pessimism and cynicism of that is that of course that's how the Coen brothers would write something.
1: Yeah. God's yeah. a jerk. <laughs> what do you think? We haven't talked about Cy Abelman at all. No, no, we have not. <laughs> One of the greatest movie characters. <laughs> he just, like... The way that both his wife and Cy Abelman just, like, railroad over him and yeah. and, uh, and just, just tell him how it is, like he can't possibly have an opinion on it, is so amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> like, that scene where he gives him a bottle of wine or the scene where they're in the... Diner and he's like, uh, Embers isn't a good location for legalities or whatever. <laughs> or a good venue for legalities, I think. Um Oh it's Yeah, well it's and then having to pay for size funeral. <laughs> every bit of it is amazing <laughs> it's beautifully
0: constructed too that we don't see Psy right away right? he's yeah. sort of dangled before yeah, he's been calling yeah. and he is apparently this incredible Lothario and this mag- I mean that's where Clooney would show up I think mm-hmm. in a Coen Brothers movie yeah. instead you get this Yeah. you get this incredible realization of an actor who I think like he, again, who'd been in a bunch of stuff, but yeah. never been used this well, I don't think. Oh. And uh, I'm blanking on his name, yeah. but uh, I should remember this. He played like Bell's father in a world. In, in a world, I want to say Murray. That doesn't seem
1: <laughs> right. And it's back.
0: But it's it's perfect casting. Yeah, when he does show up, and it's just such a shock. That that we're on Larry's side there too because yeah. we can't believe what we're seeing or what we're hearing and and yeah the the decision's been made and everything's fine they're treating him like a child yeah
1: he just uh, side so just tells him that the Jolly Roger is the best option yeah <laughs> <laughs> He can't even stay in his own house yeah. he has no choice
0: yeah it's the lack of control too I mean it's the it it ex- the circumstances of his, of Larry's life ex- instantly explain why he spends all his time teaching the secrets of the universe it gives him yeah. a chance to lord it over other people but yeah he has no it, it's the I think I, when it came out I was trying to explain it to somebody and it said it's basically like all of the Coen's movies it's, a, it's about the fallacy of trying to know the mind of God mm-hmm. it's just in this case it's literal like you yeah. have you are genuinely screwed the minute you start assuming you know how things work yeah And here they add in theology and it's just its so much pleasure to be had in, no, that's not it, and just smacking this guy down over and over again to the point where if there is a God, he's the screenwriter and he's just coming up with new torments to write (laughs) this poor guy into just so he can suffer through them and and we can enjoy them. But they're so good at that. They're just so good at lining up the dominoes.
1: Yeah. And uh, the title, A Serious Man. Yep.
0: Which becomes like a uh, a flag he keeps waving around, yeah, I how
1: important and it's how they talk about Sai and at his funeral, where he's obviously a ridiculous character, right? <laughs> but they just keep talking about what a serious man he was, <laughs> and I just uh well it's just great, it's like like the the title is a joke and not a joke, you know,
0: yeah well it's it's how. Clearly, how Psy presents himself. I mean, it's it's, God knows you could make the same argument about Trump this week. Like, if you keep saying something and insisting on something, eventually people get tired of disagreeing with you. And like, okay, you can be president. You can, you know, (laughs) you can be real. Yes, Psy will take Psy seriously. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. I can think of a couple of um, of examples. But I just I get the sense that this is something they grew up with. Like they're simply translating whatever they heard as kids and writing it down and yeah, creating so. a, a space for it. They must have known people like this. They certainly, you know, it's not them. They're not pompous in any way. They're really they're they're remarkably calm and well adjusted for people who make the kind of movies they make. Yeah. You keep waiting to hear about you know like one of them is a. Like a secret serial killer, they have a murder basement right, or something right. just to get out the demons. But they're just like it all comes out in the work. They just they seem to really enjoy this stuff and just creating ideas and having fun with each other. And then you put them in a room with ten journalists, like then it just gets weird. But when you talk to them one on one, there there's like a real a kind of resistance to dissection. They they'll talk about their work, but they I don't think they want to explore or examine how it happens. Right. Uh, which is really fascinating because something like this. And I, I did keep asking, like, you know, I went to a Hebrew day school in the 70s. Like, you guys aren't much older than me, and you've clearly had a similar cultural experience. And they just kept saying, well, you know, we talked to our set designer, and we, talk, we talked about props that we wanted. There's this little coin box for, for Israel that shows up on somebody's desk, and I I have handled those boxes they were in my school and it was the weirdest and most specific thing to see it's like oh shit that's real to other people like you saw that too and they said yeah that was our that was our wardrobe buyer our set buyer they found these things and they looked right to us so we put them in but that was as far as they were willing to go it's like it's not a commentary they said that you know like they, they came really close to talking about the autobiographical aspects of it. He said that their dad was an academic and they grew up in Minnesota in 1967. That's that's their world. Yeah. But everything around them, of course, every, the story is fictional. Right. But then you start picking at it and you see, like, culturally, the the way the parents and kids interact, that's kind of them too, right? Because they've yeah. been the same age. They go off and do their own stuff and yeah. not worry about their parents. It's It's... It's a
1: I had read that it was that it, in earlier drafts, that it was more autobiographical. That the, that the, um, that the kid had a, a much bigger storyline, and okay. then it got pushed much more to the father. Yeah.
0: Well, that would make sense. I mean, you would, yeah, because it, it's sort of unbalanced in terms. It's like a quarter kids and three years Larry, but I can also understand why they would do that because his his dilemma is so much funnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Their stuff is. There's only so far you can take the kids stuff, really.
1: Right. Yeah, but the the student that comes to see it. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just I know. remembering I watched it last night, like I said, so I'm just remembering all these parts and they hit me in waves and I laugh again. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a beautiful movie. Just the
0: mileage they get out of mere surmise, sir. The Yeah, yeah. Just the, the I mean it's Oh, God, in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, that would just be a nightmare of racism. Like, it would just be exploitative and insulting and stereotypical. And by giving the kid indignity, the fact that he isn't being understood either. I I love that moment, because it's sort of... It's this collision of, not desire, but just irritation. Like, they both want to be understood, and neither of them will budge.
1: Yeah. There's this part where, uh, in that scene, where uh, (laughs) the... Kid asks if he can retake a test, and then uh, Larry's like, "Well, the other students wouldn't like that, right?" Then he goes, "Secret test." Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, like Larry obviously said something that he thought was a conversation finisher, <laughs> you know, but nothing's enough for him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but no one, yeah, no one will take no one will take no for an answer uh, from Larry, right? Because yeah. the same thing happens it's, with Cy yeah, yeah. and his wife, and, and it's just. <laughs> Everything that does seem like a reasonable,
1: yeah, his uh, proposition. To build a a boat shed on his property, and oh, yeah.
0: And his brother is running around being insane. Yeah. I mean, there's also that. There's also this incredible weird relationship outside of everything else. Um, someone who has been destroyed by his own genius, which I assume is what Larry is afraid of, but also. There's really no sign that Larry is enough of a genius to destroy himself. That I love how important he wants to be yeah. and just can't be. He can't even get people to acknowledge him in scenes. He can't even get someone to give him a straight answer on the simplest point everybody has to launch into and that's it right I mean that's 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 Miller's Crossing and that's yeah. uh, that's no country in a weird way people are constantly missing each other's intentions and talking past each other it just it slots so perfectly into their filmography and what's to come
1: with stuff like Hail Caesar and yeah um
0: no, Intolerable Cruelty was before. I love Intolerable Cruelty. Nobody else does. So do I. Oh,
1: good. So do I. It's yeah, I don't know why it's so hated. I recommended that movie to a bunch of friends who were so mad at me when they saw really? it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't think I laughed harder that year than at the Wheezy Joe line. <laughs> like, it's just it's it's built so beautifully. I mean, The Lady yeah. Killers is a film I can't stand of theirs, but...
1: The Lady Killers, I haven't even seen all the way through. I, um... Well, I think I just fell asleep watching it one night and was like, nah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's stuff in it that's okay, but and I
1: can't. like and I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. You know, like I uh it's very popular to hate on Tom Hanks.
0: <laughs> <Aww>.
1: <laughs> but I uh defend that guy all the time to my like most uh cool friends. But I can't defend what I saw in that movie. No,
0: no, no, it's it's not. It's not the kind of thing you can argue for. It's it feels like a. It's just a t- yeah. The lady killers. I mean, it, it's it's a total mismatch of tone and material and and talent. Like the only person I think who gets through it well is J.K. Simmons because he just doesn't give. He's just giving that performance, and it doesn't matter what else is happening yeah. in the frame. Uh, the way he says the phrase "Mountain Girl," is just like. It's not contemptuous, exactly. But it's like, nope, this is Mountain Girl. This is what I'm saying. Get out of my way. I'm finishing my scene. <laughs> but, but yeah, but something like Intolerable Cruelty. Again, it's so precisely calibrated, and it just missed the audience. I think people just wanted something else from it, and I have no idea why. Every everybody put out the right message. People Clooney said it was the capper of the trilogy of idiots that he did that he did for them, which is such yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. He he. He gives the performance he should be giving. Zeta Jones is great. It's a, it's a. Oh, I like it so much. I'm actually getting tense now thinking about people who dismissed it.
1: But I know I don't understand what they thought it was going to be. Like if they thought it was going to be more of a down the road, uh, like middle of the road, um, yeah. romantic comedy. You know, like like I don't know what they thought it was going to be. Like like it's a it's Clooney and Coen Brothers together. It's nuts the yeah. movie's nuts and it's beautiful <laughs> yeah
0: I mean that's what you want from them doing a farce it's yeah. the idea that they were going to deliver yeah a mainstream satisfying crowd pleaser I saw it with an audience at the varsity that just sat there Yeah, did not get laughs I, mean, I laughed but yeah they're going to do what they want to do that's the other thing too it's like people being disappointed by and Davis which is just this beautiful sad musical and how can you be disappointed by it 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 so clearly isn't concerned with how you care or feel. I think mean, it's just doing its thing, just like Lewin does. And then the point of the film is that the same point of the Serious Man actually, which is that no matter what you do, if people don't want to hear you, you're going to get bulldozed over. Something yeah. else will come along. And I, I keep thinking that there must be a reason they chose to make this after Burn, after Reading, and after um, uh, No Country for Old Men, and and it feels like it feels like they're saying, guys, you know, like we, do, we can only do what we do. And yeah. then they said, when I asked them about that, they're like, eh, no, it was just the third one in line. We, <laughs> we wrote all three at the same time, and this is the one that went last. That's all. And I was like, okay. Oh, wow. Well. Thanks for letting me try to understand it. <laughs> they just don't like being asked that, huh? But they don't. No, they're <laughs> yeah. really resistant to any kind of, of external examination. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they... Interrogate themselves constantly when they're writing the scripts because that's how you have to build. But yeah, they're really, they're weirdly resistant to external examination. Yeah. Which is, again, this movie is all about treating Larry like a specimen and picking him apart and pulling his layers out. And yeah, they give nothing back.
1: Do you think they're just scared of being, of inviting pretension? You know, like, like they just, it's like, if you like it, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like, weird. Cause let's not get into a conversation about how important it is. You yeah. Know? Their stylistic
0: choices have been, like, they'll make comedies, they'll make dramas, they'll make, they've done every genre except, like, children and horror. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll get there. Uh, it, and I I am, I'm in the camp. Like, let them do whatever they want. I, I'm disappointed like, once every ten years. Yeah. And even then, I'll acknowledge that, the movie does what it wants to do. They're they're incredible craftsmen, but um, yeah, no, they're they're the idea that if you look in if you look into your process too closely, you fall apart. I, I'm kind of fascinated by that too. Like filmmakers who don't want to look too closely. Yeah, I mean, like David Lynch goes into analysis, and his movies get less interesting almost immediately. It's kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, but the. Yeah, the, the Coens, just the fact that they made a movie about their childhoods and then they decided to add all of these other factors to distance it is just something that's sort of been pulling at my brain ever since I saw it. I mean, right. how do you do that and then say, this has nothing to do with who I was?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, this world ended. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> put it
0: behind us once and for all. Yeah, and yeah. The next thing they did was True Grit, which is this incredible. I mean, it's not. Totally serious because of Matt Damon, who is just amazingly awesome, funny. Awesome <laughs> that movie. Yeah. And again, yeah. gets no credit at all for the idea that he's going to play the entire, like the last two thirds of his screen time will be spent spitting blood and yeah. chewing his tongue like brisket.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but, you know, that film starts with such a somber, grim weight to it and, and carries it through all the way to the end. But that was the film they followed Serious Man with. It's like, whatever, we're going to do this next thing.
1: Yeah. I, I do love that. That, that um, that every movie has their fingerprints all over it. Every movie is is theirs. But they really do whatever they want.
0: Yeah. And they're terrifyingly smart and talented and yeah. can do anything they wanted. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, what was I thinking? There's, there's another example. There's a perfect example of of that. Well, Miller's Crossing, too, which followed Raising Arizona, is yeah. this incredible, uproarious cartoon, uh, which then drifts almost immediately into... The most serious nineteen forties pulp noir, but with glorious production values and incredible monologues. I mean, just that opening Polito speech. Everything about Miller's Crossing is is just. I in my head, it's this perfect bauble that also is about everything. You know, because it's it, the philosophical aspects of it are very similar to a serious man, in that right. one person is leading an investigation into the thing that he most... like, the thing he best understands, because, of course, the whole point of Miller's Crossing is that the character you think is the... I mean, it's 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 the classic spoiler, right? Like, the, the character you think is doing the investigation is actually yeah. responsible for everything. Um, yeah, no, the, uh, there are echoes. Even though Series Man is their outlier... In terms of comedy, they've never really done anything quite like it.
1: Yeah, it
0: there are echoes, there are pieces of it in their other movies. You just have to sort of see the the structural um, resonance, I guess, or the resemblances. It's it, it's weird because it doesn't feel like anything they've ever done before until you look at the structure and like, oh no, it's this and it's this and it's pieces of this. And I don't I don't know that they've been building to it the whole time, but it feels like when it came out, it just felt like this. It was a comedy following a comedy because it came after *Burn After Reading*, right? Which they almost never do. Yeah. And *Burn After Reading* is one of the ones that I'm not so crazy about. I've watched it a couple of times since I first saw it, and I, uh, I get it, but I still think it's more gimmicky than they needed it to be, or, or they or they banked on the gimmick selling it. On the other hand, the revelation of the device that right. uh, that Clint has been working on and his. <laughs> misplaced pride <laughs> yeah. uh, that scene is amazing and it feels like that's the parking lot scene like the parking lot speech from the record yeah. where you're just getting this incredible commitment to a really stupid idea and yeah. the, with the insistence that it's going to solve everything when no it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> No, the other people around you can't even comprehend what it's supposed to do <laughs> Or they understand what it does all too well And burn after reading But, but that's, like, that's what I mean the, the idea that the same joke shows up In these two successive films right. The idea that, no, this is the solution No, it's not It's not even close and yeah. No one else can understand you
1: That's sort of what Larry goes through Over and over and over again Like well, they extrapolated I've, the bit Yeah, I mean, I always respect Artists who obsess over the same ideas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it Just have something that, they, that they're working out you know? Yeah. Like I'm a, a huge hip fan, for instance, and uh and some some albums, uh uh Gordani will use the same phrase in a number of songs. Yeah. Like, yeah, he just couldn't get that out of his head, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and uh that's it's uh, very similar with the Coen Brothers, that there are like things that you see in movies that are just comforting because they're in their other movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, do you
0: think they're comforting for them, or that it's something they know they can trust that will work? Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, which I guess is the same thing. Yeah, that's that's probably the same thing.
0: Yeah. What was so okay? What was the first time you really started to understand what they were doing? Because for me, it didn't click in until *Miller's Crossing*.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, the first movie I fell in love with, obviously, was. Raising Arizona, but I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. You know, like it was crazy. And uh uh and Lebowski Lepowski's a masterpiece. Uh, it's so great. But it's um it's like too popular. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In a way, like it uh um uh it's like somebody like I told you I I posted that I saw this movie last night. and I got a bunch of Facebook comments about the Coen mm-hmm. brothers and about this movie and, and stuff. And and somebody said that they don't hate the Lebowski. They hate their fans. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> and that uh, that makes sense to me. That that's, it's just sort of... I guess because the dude is like... He's called the dude. He's like a cool character. Uh, which is nothing I... Ever really attributed to to the Coens that they're like, like there's so much cool stuff, but I never feel like they're trying to be cool. Yeah, you know, like yeah. uh, there's nothing in this movie that's trying to be cool, <laughs> you yeah. know, except maybe the old rabbi uh, talking about gray slick, but um, and Psy Psy thinks he's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Sy definitely <laughs> believes he is like a man among men. Yeah, although he clearly is not. Yeah, No, Lebowski's fascinating to me because I can see why people connect to it yeah. for its sort of attitude and its vibe. But if you actually pay attention to it, the dude, he's a terrible detective. He solves the mystery by mistake. Right. And it's a story about idiots floundering in a world that they can't control. Again, yeah. just like this one. Yeah. But the appeal of it. I don't know, Like there, there's this, this whole level of pothead cinema that connects to people who either wish they could smoke that much pot or do smoke that much right. pot. And I've never been able to understand that appeal because, you know, you get tired and you sit still and you don't do anything, and it's sort of the anti-comedy. Right. Um, the, the, like the Cheech and Chong stuff always built into freneticism. Bill and Ted, the kind of stoner humor, is based on how smart the movies are. Yeah, how silly the characters are, but the warmth that comes out of them—it's—it's it's like Lebowski is this weird, angry movie about the Gulf War <laughs> being stitched onto the long goodbye.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which
0: is so fascinating, I, and for that, I—I I adore it. But yeah, it's not a, like, it's only incidentally a stoner comedy. I've never really understood that that connection. Yes,
1: yes, but everyone lets it be that for them. Yeah, you know, like everyone, uh, yeah, yeah, everyone attaches themselves to that to that movie and I think that uh, in a lot of ways they I don't know they don't like their movies for the same reason that I like their yeah, movies I'm true. not sure um, but obviously John Goodman's performance in that is unreal
0: oh yeah no everybody's fun <laughs> yeah. and also yeah, yeah. like Amy Mann shows up for two seconds yeah. and she kills it she's like yeah. everybody that, and that movie feels like Julianne Moore yeah, yeah. and it feels like everybody's having so much fun I think that's maybe part of it. The idea that you're at a party and you're enjoying it, as opposed to the films where people on the screen are having a great time, but it doesn't come out. Like, it right. doesn't extend into the audience. You're not invited in. The Serious Man is not a party, but we are invited to enjoy the torments. Absolutely. like We get to have a pleasurable experience while watching this man <laughs> destroy himself and
1: everyone around him. <laughs> At least you and me. Not everybody, I'm telling you. Well, they're wrong. People hate it. They're just wrong.
0: How can you hate it?
1: <laughs> I left this movie with such a grit on my face. <laughs> and, and, it does this thing, like you said, where, like, like horror movies I'm like this, a lot of movies done like this, where it just, like, cuts to a black screen and gives you what isn't a clean ending, isn't, like, a, a satisfying ending that... That a movie like built to or whatever, and I find that that happens all the time in movies that either are important or think they're important. You know, like like uh, like at the end of the Lobster, it just goes to black. Yeah. Like like so many movies were where like, no, this is a good movie because we didn't write an ending. You know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and sometimes that doesn't work for me at all. Sometimes that makes me upset. Like just like. Okay guys. But uh with this one I just smiled for the rest of the day cuz I was like there's no better way to end this than a tornado just coming to get them.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it is directed at it. yeah. like, it's not just there, it's coming. <laughs> and it's yeah, and it's what happens when you choose the wrong thing. I mean, yeah. you know, Larry does the wrong Larry makes a, has a moment of weakness. And that ends the world. His son is about to do the right thing and yeah. get out of it, and it doesn't matter because the other choice was made first. It's just great. It's like yeah. uh, it's it's not about arbitrariness, really, because it can't be because everything happens is, literally is happening for a reason. Yeah. But I love the fact that if you don't know that, if you're another character in this, it's just this uncomprehending crisis and chaos that's going on. Uh, it's, you know, there's this old. This, this thing, the appeal of the disaster movie, is that you think you'll be one of the ones who survives. Right. Everybody gets to watch and goes, oh yeah, I would do that. I would right. be on that boat. I would, I would kill the zombie because I know what to do. And nope. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Penn and Teller did this great bit on uh, bullshit on the show about the myth of preppers, the, the disaster preparedness, and they mm-hmm. just said, look, you know what? If this much of a percentage of, of humanity is going to die, you and your family aren't going to make it. Maybe one of you will, but realistically, yeah. just do the stats. You're not going to survive this, so what's the point of preparing for it? It was this great, weird, cynical abandonment of hope, but like, I love the idea in A Serious Man that this is coming and you can't stop it, and not only can you not stop it, you can't get out of the way. Yeah. like You're just you're just
1: collateral damage. It's just over. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's yeah. And to leave the theater grinning and smiling, like my face hurt from laughing. Like that. Yeah. It was so great, and it's exhilarating in a really bizarre way. Because if you think about it, what did Brooke, Mel Brooks say? Like, tragedy is me skinning my knee. Comedy is you falling into a manhole and dying. <laughs> it's all about perspective. Yeah. And that's what this is too. Like this is this is a, a master's thesis on. What is funny and why? Yeah, about this poor
1: man suffering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, um, he can't enjoy any moment of this like <laughs> like none of us would if it was happening to us. But what a delight to see it happen to him. Yeah,
0: it is great. It's <laughs> so much fun. Um, no, yeah. There's, there's. There's so much pleasure in suffering. It sounds so terrible, but like this is a Hellraiser movie. Essentially, it's we're just the cenobites. We get to sit there and go, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at him. Yeah, this yeah, is going yeah. This is not ending well. Oh, it's so much fun to watch people suffer. <laughs> <laughs> in the right circumstances. I mean, Raising Arizona too, right? Like the one of the biggest laughs in that movie is. Um, is it Tim Blake Nelson skinning his fingers on the... No, it's William Forsyth grabbing at the stucco and scraping his fingernails on, uh, on, the, on the roof inside the trailer. Or maybe it's... I don't know, maybe it's Cage. But it's just that moment where It's somebody, Cage, it's yeah, Cage.
1: He, he, he scrapes his knuckles. He, yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we can
0: imagine that happening to us and we're so glad it didn't. Yeah, Like, that's that weird kind of anti-empathy that, yeah. that comedy can create oh that's magnificent
1: uh, yeah and it's just beautifully in the details like scraping your knuckles on stucco like stucco is just there but yeah. they're like there's a joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's been
0: waiting all this time yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: for someone to notice it uh, so
0: the, the question on the the, the closer on the, on the podcast is always the same too which is is there anything of this film that you have borrowed or stolen or taken is there any way you've used a serious man in your own sort of creative DNA whoa is there a Larry Gopnik inside of us all
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I've certainly uh, I've certainly pitched things that, Oh, with this p- type of character oh yeah um, not anything that's become anything really but I've certainly I'm certainly really really fascinated with with like I said a man in the center of a storm a man who's just like we're just like piles on him, and uh, doing and comedy that way, you know, like, uh, where there isn't, where there's no fix at the end, where you, just, right. where you just watch someone go all the way down a hill and die there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think that anybody trusts me um, to do that, because they don't, uh, people don't make comedy TV shows like that, generally. There was a kind of maybe they will.
0: There was a moment like with Worst Week coming out of the UK, where it could have worked, and then the US version just didn't get it. Yeah, remade it, and it just didn't work out. But yeah, the idea that no matter what you do, you will end in suffering.
1: Yeah, like uh, that is comedy. Like, like the British office was a little bit like that, except they, um, except like, then they had the love story to buffer it, right? Right. So like, then these characters, you just. Really like, <laughs> and then uh, well, you watch somebody suffer. Yeah, but
0: well, that's it, right? Like Tim and Dawn, you had the possibility that yeah. they could break free. Right, they could get
1: away from it. Yeah, so so that made it safe to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, these guys aren't worried about it being safe. They're just they're just letting you watch this guy die. <laughs> yeah,
0: and everyone and take everyone else with
1: them. And I'd love to do something like that. Yeah. I'd like to put pieces of that in it if I can, but, um, but yeah, if I have a, a TV show sometime in the future where, where I pitch the show where the, where I accidentally kill my own love interest in the first six episodes, <laughs> 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 I, uh, she dies saving puppies in a fire. Um, and, uh, uh, people really liked it. And then it, it sort of like, fell apart, I think, specifically because of how dark it was, <sighs> but um if you ever see me do something like that, it has a lot to do with this movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know Tom Hogg is the author of his own misfortune in filth city, but mm-hmm. but he's way more committed to it i think <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it. he's he's not yeah there's the the comedy doesn't come from his suffering, no, we kind of want him to suffer
1: more <laughs> frankly certainly he's a He's having a good time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I have to ask, just because I covered Ford for years, like, you're not playing Rob Ford, but right. you're playing a Rob Ford avatar. Like, there, yeah. there are things we have to recognize for it to work. Certainly. So how do you do that? Like, what was the way in that let you keep it from
1: being just a, a repeat? The way in was um, uh, was Jimmy Cagney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Andy King, the director of the film, uh, took me out for a steak which was very nice Um, before no one's ever done that for me at the beginning of a movie before so I always say that in interviews (laughs) work for him he's great Um, took me up for a steak and he he said that uh, that he didn't want to make the Rob Ford movie and that uh, that there was some danger in in trying to do an impression Mm -hmm. and I really had no interest in that I'm not an impressionist I have no confidence in that area and also like it would have been too soon, like he wasn't dead, but too soon for this story. Right. And it would have felt too close to the bone. Nobody wanted to make a report story. We just wanted to take something recognizable like Law and Order does. Yeah. <laughs> like rip from the headlines and then tell a crazy story. But he told me to watch a bunch of uh, to watch White Heat and a bunch of uh, Jimmy Cagney clips because we talked about how he uh, never thought about acting <laughs> he just uh, he just played everything like it was like he was a raw nerve oh yeah you know and um, uh well, and that was just sort of the approach that the, uh, this guy doesn't think before he speaks he doesn't think before he he does anything he's just he's just a ball of of emotion and drugs <laughs> right yeah because it's really interesting
0: watching it from from chapter to chapter I guess yeah I would say it's that there, are, yeah, like there are flashes of reality that creep in for the whole situation, not just yeah. not just Hogg's character, but it's really like it's a tightrope to walk without falling into. And remember when this happened? And remember when this happened? You just got you guys just came up with a new direction almost immediately because you have to. Yeah, and it goes yeah. horribly disastrously yeah. wrong basically from the jump. Yeah And yeah Oh I can't wait to see it With an audience That's going to be so weird We're we're going to release this Between the Canadian Film Festival right. premiere And the Now screening uh, So it got, If you're listening The Now screening is Monday night I will be there To introduce it And it's going to be I assume A pretty packed house
1: But yeah, I can so. wait all the, to see how the movies. online Tickets are gone Yeah So I Man We're so like, Happy test? We're so happy That Doug Ford Hates this movie With seeing it <laughs> You know, like, obviously, he just likes being on the news. I, I think if he watched it, mostly he would be disappointed that there's no Doug Ford character in it. I was amazed at that. <laughs> Like, the fact that he is, because I'd seen it when he started complaining, and I was like, wait a minute, he
0: hasn't, he, yeah, there is no Doug Ford character. He's going to be, he's going to be pissed that's at That's what at.
1: he's going to be mad about, yeah. If he ever sees it, or if he'll anyone he knows it. sees it, that's what he'll be mad about, I can guarantee it. But uh, I did an interview with the Sun, where they really, really were trying to get me to say that I'd combined the two Ford brothers. That oh, I no. that I had that I was just adding the mean Doug to the to the likable Rob, and I was like, I'm not gonna say in the Sun that I was trying to play Doug Ford. He no. already said he wants to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. <laughs> uh, how? I have no
0: idea how you even begin to to address something like that because when. When reality starts to argue with you, <laughs> or not yeah. reality, when another cartoon, when a when a living version of a yeah. cartoon, I'm going to say sociopath yeah. starts starts taking exception with a thing he hasn't seen because of what he thinks is in it, and it
1: isn't. It's completely a satire. We advertise it that way. He sees a trailer and and goes on the news and says this isn't accurate at all. I, know, <laughs> like, I love that. What? That's <laughs> such
0: a great complaint. It's such a great complaint. <laughs> Uh, somebody, I got a pissy email from somebody about my Kong review uh, because I say, correctly, according to the film, that it starts in 1973 when Nixon at the end of the Vietnam War. And someone wrote in, because the film uses footage of Nixon announcing the drawdown of forces, and that all happened in 1973. And then the, the writer wrote in and said, uh, the fall of Saigon wasn't until 1975. Clearly that's just a typo. And I kept thinking, okay, you're going to correct this in a movie where there's also a giant monkey yeah, and yeah, monsters yeah. Yeah. and th- it's not our world, dude. I mean, yeah. even, even if the timeline is similar, the facts or just the fact that you're picking at that thing, Yeah, uh, it's, it's insane. I think it's a form of, I guess it's like a form of uh, I'm casting your, your will over reality and making sure the right. world works the way you think it does, which again brings us back to A Serious Man. More than anything else To tell you Don't do that (laughs) Look what happens
1: Oh well here's An example of Of (laughs) People speaking Without Any self-awareness Or Or logic to them I have gotten A number of Death threats on Twitter Since Since this The press has started For this movie Death threats Death threats All from Faceless Twitter accounts You know Um And uh Nobody with over 30 followers That's a good Uh, metric which is great, but um there's this real like common thing where they their position is they cannot believe that anyone would make fun of Rob Ford, who they love so much, yeah, but they also want me to die because I'm a fat slob <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> there there's an argument to be made. <laughs> Well, you're clearly handling it
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, I mean, who knows if anything's going to actually happen? We found a, we found a, a thread on Reddit that of people trying to organize a protest for the screening at, oh, the, at the film fest. That's, um, that's so, we'll go see, so we'll see. We'll see if there's any of that. But mostly, mostly it's just a, a gift from the gods that, that Doug Ford is so angry about this movie because Canadian films don't get this kind of press. Like, <laughs> Certainly not like tiny independent ones like this. you know. Like, that's true. Like yeah. uh, People are so excited about this movie and they don't know why. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's incredible.
0: So we should try to, you know, the next time... Um, <laughs> I wonder what else we could get Doug Ford mad at. I know. I guarantees it'll go straight to television. You're right. Whatever it is instantly becomes the spotlight.
1: I know. They were uh, the... The maker, the filmmakers, um, uh, LaRue Entertainment, they're trying to figure out how to... Uh, get like a Phil City 2 made and, um, <laughs> and the last time I talked to them they were like what if you what if you played you also played Doug Ford in this one you <sighs> would really hate that <laughs> what if you brought in we brought in your own brother who wasn't helping you get right. you played yourself I was like, ah, yeah. oh yeah. Let me know, man. <laughs> God, what if Doug Ford was the angel
0: in that one? Like, what if he was actually the good guy trying to stop Hog from yeah, yeah. the other hog? Yeah, he'd probably find it too I'm sure there's another reason but that's the other problem too. Like if you're Doug Ford, you always have to be mad at something. You can't ever be for something. No. So you'd have to come up with something that makes him more hostile.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. What a what an interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this took
0: a turn. <laughs> My thanks to Pat Thornton, who you can see in Filth City this coming Monday, April 3rd, if you're in Toronto at the Royal Cinema and you can get in. Uh, the doors open at 6.30, first hundred guests get free popcorn, everybody gets a free movie, and it's going to be a zoo. Check out the Facebook page for Now Free Flick Mondays to keep an eye out for VIP ticket giveaways. And if you do come out, please say hi. Uh, we're, we're nice people. You can approach us. You can also stream Pat's new special, Different Times, at the comedynetwork.ca right now. You can follow Pat on Twitter at Pat Thornton, all one word, and you can find A Serious Man on Blu-ray and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment in a pretty decent special edition, even though the Coens don't give away nearly as much about themselves as you would want them to. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-C-A-S-T, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you say something nice about the parking lot. Thanks for listening. I'm
1: afraid you just too